of the church and every family in the church. And we just thank you, Father. And we do praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, do me a favor. Open up to Revelation chapter 3 today. We are in a series entitled Letters to the Church. And we're going through chapters 2 and 3. And so we've been in this a couple weeks. And while you're turning there, I just want to kind of uh, put this kind of as a little headline. One of our pillars here in the church is that we proclaim the authority of God's word unapologetically. And what I mean by that is we preach what the Bible has to say. And there are times where the message is, is, is um, very hopeful, very, it, it's, it's easy to hear. We're walking out going, man, I like that. But then there are messages where you walk out and go, man, I feel like I just got a whooping. All right? Um, that's today's message. It, it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be heavy. Um, it, it, it may cause you to feel uncomfortable. But um, don't shoot the messenger. This is Jesus saying this today. Okay? And so um, that's where we're going to be at today in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And um, we're looking at another letter that is being sent to a church. And what we're doing is, is even though these letters were specific letters to specific churches, um, hitting specific issues in that church, doesn't mean that today's church, we read these and go, well, you know what, that was for them, that's not for us. We still take what was said in there, and what we do is we extrapolate the truths, and we take the truths that we see in there, bridge it for us today, and apply it to where we are today. And so even though they are letters to churches 2,000 years ago, we still want to see what truth is in there, and we need to ask the question, what do we need to know? What do we need to know from these letters to us today? And so that's what we are continuing to look at is what do we need to know from these letters? And today we're looking at four things from chapter three of the church of Sardis, four things we need to know. Here's the first one. Write this down. I would encourage you to take notes, follow along in the word. And here's the first thing we need to know. Jesus is the anointed one and brings life. Jesus is the anointed one and brings life. So there, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. Now notice it says, to the angel. Now, this is something I have, I've, I've been hitting on, and I want to hit on a little bit more today, is the angel, I believe, and I agree with many Bible commentaries that I've, I've been reading, that the angel is not a literal angel, but it is a human messenger, okay? Because the word angel in Greek can be translated as simply messenger. And, and more than likely, who is being talked about that the messenger is the pastor elders of the church. And the reason why I want to say this, kind of a, expound on this, is because Paul and I actually had a very interesting conversation about this Friday night. I was talking about my message, and she just disagreed with me. She goes, I disagree with you. I don't think it's a, I think it's a real angel. And I'm like, okay. I go, well, let me explain this to you. I go, I go, when do you ever read in scripture that God sends a human to talk to an angel? I go, you don't. What you do see is God sending an angel to go talk to people. 
So you see this in, 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 in several accounts, like in, in the book of Joshua. God sent an angel to go talk to Joshua before the battle, battle of Jericho. You see it in the book of Judges when God sent an angel to go talk to Gideon to encourage Gideon to go fight against the Midianites. You see it with Zechariah, uh, the, the father of John the Baptist, when he was serving in the temple, an angel shows up and, oh, by the way, Zechariah, you're going to have a kid. You see this with both Joseph and Mary. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to both of them to say, you're going to have a son. You see this at the resurrection. Angels were sent and at the tomb, and when the ladies appear, they give them a message. But you never see God sending a human to go tell an angel anything. You see, this is why I believe this is the angel here is a human messenger. It's Jesus talking to a human by the name of John, and then John communicating the message to another human which would have been the pastor elders of the church. You see, that's why. So now let me say this. If you disagree with me, that's okay. We can agree to disagree because um, whether this was a literal or angel or a human messenger, how many of you know it's not essential? Okay. It, it, it has really no bearing on your salvation. It has no bearing on the word. We can agree to disagree. It's not about the messenger, it's about who's giving the message. And the one who's giving the message takes top priority because it's Christ, okay? So, it says, to the angel of the church in Sardis. Now, Sardis was an ancient city in, in, in Asia Minor, which is today we know as modern-day Turkey. Um, Sardis was a very important city at that time because it was located in such a place where the major roads went through it. So it was an important city for trade. A lot of people went through that city, traded um, goods, and, and Sardis was also known for their manufacturing of wool garments. So they were trading that. Um, also, gold coins and silver coins were first minted in Sardis. So it would, have been a, it would have been a wealthy city because they had, it was trade, manufacturing, they were, they were making coins. So Sardis was a very important city. Now, just like when we, we looked at the church of Smyrna, we don't know much about Sardis in Scripture. It's not mentioned, okay? But what we do know is that Paul was on a missionary journey in, in, in this place called Asia Minor, and he was going to different towns and he would, he would start preaching the gospel to people. He would win a, a, a people to Christ, and then he would start a church. He's like, well, this looks like a good place for a church. Let's put a church here. So there would be different towns that he would go through, plant a church, plant a church, plant a church, plant a church. Sardis would have been one of those that Paul planted a church in. So it goes on, and it says, the words of him who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. The words of him. Once again, as we've seen in the past two messages, and as we will see in the rest of the messages, Jesus introduces himself. I, said, I find that interesting. Like, does Jesus really need an introduction? You know, but he does. He introduces himself, but the thing is, he introduces himself differently to each church, okay? It's not like he wrote to the church, um, Jesus Christ, 
Savior, you know, he could have said that, but he's like, he introduces himself differently. And in this one, he introduces himself by saying that he goes, I'm the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So let's begin with that idea of seven spirits of God. First, understand there's only one spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit, only one, all right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, one spirit. So what's he talking about? What is, how is, why is Jesus referring to himself then as the seven spirits of God? What this is really probably um, going to is, is that the Holy Spirit has different aspects or different attributes. And in fact, in Isaiah chapter 11, or Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, it says that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, meaning Christ. And, it, and, and, the, and the spirit that's going to rest upon him, it says, the spirit will be the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, these are different aspects of the Holy Spirit. And so what Isaiah is prophesying is that Christ would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And these aspects of the Holy Spirit would flow through him. And so Jesus is saying that I am anointed I have the spirit and these aspects. And in fact, in, in Luke chapter four, when Jesus goes into the synagogue, he sits down and he takes the book of Isaiah chapter 61 and he begins to read it. And he, he, he's reading it to apply it to himself. And the very first thing he says, he goes, I have been anointed by the spirit and he is going to help me proclaim good news to the poor that the Spirit of God rests on me. I've been anointed by the Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's like, I have these aspects of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes upon me and goes through me and works in the lives of people. But notice also, he said, he talks about these things called seven stars, that he has the seven stars. In Revelation chapter one, the, seven, the stars are referred to as the angels. Okay, so if you were to have a, like a, 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 a diagram, you got the seven stars, meaning seven angels, meaning seven messengers, meaning seven pastors or elders. Okay, so these stars are ultimately the pastor elders. Okay, and Jesus is like, I have them. I have the church in my hand. So what Jesus is saying here is this. He's like, um, and he's been saying this. He goes, here's what you need to understand. Here's what you need to know. Nothing happens apart from me. The life of a person, that person is spiritually dead and does not come to life apart from me. Now think about that. Apart from Christ, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you are spiritually dead. Okay, you, you have life in your body, you got breath in your lungs, you got a heartbeat in your chest, you got strength in your muscles, but guess what you are spiritually? Dead. Meaning you are separated from God, you have no eternal life, you, you will not be with God for eternity. You're spiritually dead, you're dead before God without Christ. So when, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he came to the place where he says, I've come to save sinners. And so here's the thing. If you and I are dead before God spiritually, guess what you can't do? You can't save yourself. You can't do anything to make yourself righteous before God. 
You can't do anything to make yourself alive before God. Nothing. The only thing that makes you alive before God is putting your faith in Christ. You've got to come to the place where you personally, not you and your wife, not you and your mom and dad, not you, no, you personally have got to come to the place where you acknowledge you're a sinner and your sin kills you spiritually. It causes you to be spiritually dead, spiritually separated for all eternity from God. And the only way you come alive spiritually before God is you got to come to the place where you acknowledge Christ and you acknowledge you're a sinner and you need to be saved from your sin. And the only way you are saved from your sin is putting your faith and just everything in my boat is in Christ. All of my eggs are going to be in the basket of Christ, spiritually speaking. And so I put my faith in Christ alone. And when I put my faith in Christ and I receive him as Savior, he imparts the Holy Spirit into me. And that brings me alive spiritually. Nobody is made alive spiritually on their own. It's only through Christ that life is given to an individual. But guess what? It goes from the individual also corporately to a church. A church is not alive because of programs. How many of you know there's a lot of churches with a lot of great programs, but a program does not make a church. There are a lot of churches who have great, big, fancy buildings. In fact, you'll even hear people say, hey, if you'll build it, they'll come. That works great in Hollywood, but building a building does not cause people to come to Christ, to come to know Christ, or be changed in Christ. People think that if you just get a dynamic pastor, man, that's going to work. The pastor cannot even change a life. The only thing that changes lives in the seats is Christ alone. It is the spirit of God that he imparts into the church that the spirit is moving in the church. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that a mind can be changed, that a heart can be convicted and the will is challenged. It's not by anything I say. It's not by anything we do. It doesn't mean I don't preach. It doesn't mean we don't do ministry. It doesn't mean we don't do things. But if we're putting our hope in that thing, if you're coming up, hey, you got to come to church because we got a great pastor, man, you've missed it. It's not about human strength, human ingenuity, human creativity. It is all about Christ. And that's what we need to know, that he's the anointed one and he gives life. Number two, second thing we need to know is this. Nominal Christianity kills the church. Okay, now this is where it's going to get hard. Everybody just buckle up. <laughs> so there at the end of verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, I know your works. And this is something that, again, he repeats in these churches. He's like, I know your works. The problem with this thing is, is, is with this particular church is Jesus is like, I know your works. But the problem is, is he's not going to um, commend them for their works. Their works don't warrant a commendation, but a condemnation. He's going to show them that, yeah, yeah, you're, you're busy, but it means nothing. Because he goes on, he says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Notice he says, you have a reputation. 
Okay, um, the reputation that this particular church had had a reputation with people in the city, with the unsaved in the city. You see, it was the people in the city that would look at the church and the, and the people in the city were probably going, wow, that church has it going on. Wow, that church is something. Maybe, maybe it was the people, you know, maybe they, they would walk by and they, they, they saw how big the church building was. And they were impressed. Or, or maybe they, they would see all the cars in the parking lot. Funny joke there, no cars, okay? But maybe they're like, look at all these people. How, how do they have so many people showing up? And the people in the city were impressed. And they had a reputation. Maybe, as Bible commentary Warren Wiersbe says, he says it this way. He says, the unsaved in Sardis saw the church as a respectable group of people who were neither dangerous nor desirable. They were decent people with a dying witness and a decaying ministry. You see, um, these people had a reputation, but no reality. They, they made an impression, but no impact. They had a profession, but no practice. You see, they, they were able to make, a, they had a reputation in the city, but they had no reputation with Christ. They were, in, they were able to impress people, but they did not impress Jesus. And Jesus, in his eyes, he's like, I know your works. How many of you know Jesus knows everything? He sees it all. And he knows the heart behind it all. He's like, I know your works. And in his eyes, he's like, you're not alive. He's like, this church, you, Sardis, you guys are dying. People think you're alive, but listen, you are truly spiritually dying. In fact, if you look at verse 2, the first two words of, chat, of verse 2 there, he says, wake up. Jesus, in his mind, he's like, this church is so asleep right now. Now, we need to understand, when, we start, when I talk about the church, when he's addressing the church, he's not talking about some kind of entity just kind of floating around. Who is he addressing when he says the church? No, I mean, what's in the church? The people. Okay? He, 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 he's addressing Joanna sitting in the front row attending church. He's addressing Bob, sitting in the back row, attending church. He's, he's addressing the people because the people make up the church. Not the programs, not the building. It's the people. And so he's addressing the people. And he's like, the people in this church are asleep. They're going. You see, it, it's almost kind of like the people in this church were okay with just being okay. They were comfortable with being comfortable. You see, this church, I believe, was filled with simply nominal believers. People who had the profession of Christ, but truly had no practice. They showed up for church, and they went through the motions, but that was it. They 
came in, sat down, soaked it up, and went home. And there was no life. There, there was nothing going on. And Jesus is like, man, you all need to wake up. You need to get it together. You are asleep. You are dying spiritually and you don't see it. Why does he say that this church is dying? Why do nominal Christians kill a church? Simple. Nominal Christians don't do anything. We show up for Sunday, do our our bit, get our check mark, and then we're done. You see, nominal Christians, again, are okay with just being okay. We're okay with the, the, the idea that the apex of my Christian faith is I go to church. And unfortunately today, for a lot of Christians, it's sporadic. I go to church for two or three weeks, and then I'm gone for two or three weeks. I go to church every other week. I, Nominal Christians are okay with not engaging in anything. We're okay with not serving in ministry. We're okay with not attending a Bible study or, 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 or getting together and, and, and being part of community with other believers. Nominal Christians are okay with not witnessing to people and not inviting anyone to church. Nominal Christians are okay with just showing up. And Jesus is saying, these people who are asleep are killing the church. The church is dying. See, that's why we need to know that nominal Christians kill a church. Here's number three. Renewal happens when I reverse my thinking and make a difference. Renewal happens when I reverse my thinking and make a difference. So again, look at verse two. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus is trying to like, like he, he, he's got the paddles on their chest and he's saying clear. And he's, he's trying to revive them. He, he, he's trying to shake the lethargicness out of them. He's trying to stir them and wake them up. He's trying to get these Christians to go, whoa, I don't want to be here. He's trying to move them. He's trying to persuade them. He, he's, he's trying to revive them. And he was telling them, if you want renewal, if you want to see life breathed into the church, here's what you've got to do. And there's five things that he says in these verses. The first thing he says is this, wake up. He, he, he's like, don't be content. Don't be comfortable anymore. Don't be satisfied with being comfortable. 
Don't be satisfied with just being okay. Don't be satisfied with just showing up, just doing a few, going through the motions and going home. He's like, don't be satisfied there. Wake up. Don't sleep any longer. Don't be lethargic any longer. Don't be lazy spiritually any longer. Wake up. He's like, man, you need to examine yourself. Do an evaluation. Find out where you are. He's like, wake up. You know, I wonder, over the past year, I know many churches have, have really grown in the, 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 the video um, of the service and people are, have been at home and for a lot of, you know, very real reasons. But I have to wonder how easy is it have for us to stay home? How comfortable is it to know, man, I can just stay in my jammies and drink my cup of joe and kick back on the couch and I can watch. I wonder how many of us are falling asleep spiritually because it's so easy just to stay home. We got to wake up. This idea of waking up is just not for Sardis. It is for the American church and it's for us. We also need to wake up. But he also goes on and he says, so he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So not only are we to wake up, but we're also to strengthen ourselves. Strengthen and what remains is about to die. Now look at what he says after this. He says, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I have, they're working. They're busy. But the problem is they're working and busy at the wrong things. See, when Jesus says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God, what he's basically saying is what you're doing is making no impact for the kingdom of God. It has no implications for the kingdom of God whatsoever. How many of you know we can be busy with life? We can be busy all the time. But the thing is, you and I can labor in life, we can work in life, and we can be busy in life, and it has zero implications for the kingdom of God. It's making no impact. It's advancing the gospel in no way. And, but yet, we think we're busy. But the problem is, busy just to be busy is dangerous. You see, because if I, just, if, if I just fill my life with stuff and it causes me to have to pull out and all I'm doing is just going through the motions and I'm just falling asleep at the will, but my life is busy, it's busy for the wrong things. You're making no impact for the kingdom of God. And Jesus is telling this church, what you are doing isn't impressing God. You're impressing people. You're wowing the city. But I can't commend you. I have to condemn you about your works. Church, we got to strengthen ourselves. We got to, you got to, see, this is part of waking up. Because when I wake up, when I step back and ask myself, man, where am I at? 
Am I just showing up to church? I, I show up, I hang out, and then I go home, and man, people don't see me for another seven days. I'm not engaged in anything. I'm not doing anything. Man, that means I need to step back and go, whoa, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm not, whoa. I'm in a danger area. I need to examine myself and go, you know what? I need to strengthen what is about to die. I need to, to care about the church. I need to engage in the church. I need to be, get involved in the church. I need to, the apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we are to build one another up. We are to build the church. See, it's all of us who are responsible for building the church. And building the church doesn't just mean number growth. We can, this church can stay at 150 people until Jesus comes back, but we are still needing to build the church. And the way that happens is, guess what? I can't be a nominal believer. I can't just sit back idly and watch everybody else do the work, and I just enjoy the effects of it. No. You need to strengthen what is about to die. You need to wake up. And then Jesus goes on and he says, in verse 3, he says, remember then what you've received and heard. So he says, wake up, strengthen yourself, and now remember. And he's not just talking about remembering any old thing. He's like, remember what you have received and heard. And what he's drilling down on there is he's like, you have heard the gospel and you've received the gospel. That's the most important thing that you and I can hear and ever receive. Okay? You can, you can receive all the money in the world and still be lost. You can receive everything this life throws at you and still be lost. But Jesus is like, man, you've heard and received the most important thing, which is the gospel. And then, and it's almost like Jesus is kind of like, He's bewildered. He's kind of like, how can you have this thing? How can you have the truth of knowing I died on a cross for you? And there's nothing that you can do to receive God's grace. There's nothing you can do to receive the mercy of God. All you can do is put your faith in me. And you have this, you, you've been forgiven of your sin. You have all of this, this, this life in me. How can you be dead? How can you sleep at the wheel? He's like, you've heard this thing. You've received it. Man, because of that truth, that should cause something in me to be stirred, to go, hey, how do I get involved in this thing? Where's my part? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, he says, in view of God's mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. In view of his mercy, because of what he's done for you, because of the forgiveness you have through Christ, freely given to you, man, how can I stay asleep? How can I not be engaged? How can I not be involved? How can I just come, sit, soak, and go home? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is, I can't. So wake up, strengthen, remember. And then he goes on. He, so he says, remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it. That, what he's talking about there is simply obey what I've said. And Jesus has been talking about waking up. He's been talking about, man, just don't be, be nominal and idle. Don't be just going through the motions. Man, let what, what I've done in your life impact you. Now, 
Take what I am saying, live it out. Keep my word, do my word, obey my word. I know those are, those are bad words in the church. You want me to obey God? Yes. You want me to do what the Bible says? Yes. You want me to listen to Jesus? Yes. Why? Because he's the head of it all. He's the one in charge. He's the one who's, who, this is his church. He's the leader. And the leader is telling us something to do. And we follow and obey the leader. And then notice the last thing he says, repent. Repent. When you repent, that means you're getting serious. There's no more playing games. There's no more doing it my way. There's no more, well, when I get around to it or if it feels good or if it fits into my schedule. No, 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 no. Repentance is when I think differently and then I act differently. Repentance is looking at where I'm at. I've examined myself. I've, 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 I've tested myself. I, I've realized, wow, I am not where I should be. I sure I, I show up to church, but man, I'm not engaged in anything. I don't witness to people. I'm not connected with anybody. I show up on Sunday, listen, go home, and I show up again the next week. And that's my, if you can get to that place, repentance is like, you, 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 you just get it. And you're like, okay, um, I'm changing my attitude. I'm changing the way I think, and I'm going to start making a difference. That's Repentance. Repentance is not saying, oh, I get it, I hear it, I'm sorry, God, and continuing the same direction. Repentance is, man, I get it, I got it, I hear it, I see it, I don't want to be here. God, forgive me, God, help me, and I move a different direction. So that means if I get this, I wake up, I strengthen myself, I remember what Christ has done for me. Somebody help me out, I don't have my, remember Keep it. I'm, I'm doing what he says. I, I repent. So guess what? If I'm not engaged, guess what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to engage. If I'm not doing anything, I'm going to do something. If I'm not connecting, I am going to connect. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And then he gives a warning. So we wake up, we strengthen we remember, we keep it, we repent. And then he says this, this is a warning. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. That is not referring to a second coming. Notice he says, I will come against you. It's discipline. He will bring discipline to the church and he will also bring discipline to individuals. When you and I, he, like he says, if you will not wake up, Simply meaning you're not going to listen to this. You're, you're, you're just going to ignore it. And you're going to continue in the same path. You're just going to, you know what? I'm just going to be nominal. I, I, there's, a, there's plenty of other people doing it. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to get engaged. I don't need to be involved. I'm, just, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with being okay. Jesus says if that's the attitude you want to have, if you don't want to wake up, ultimately, if you're not going to repent... He's like, I will come against you. I will have to discipline you. Because Jesus is not about idleness. Nowhere in scripture do you find the fruit of the spirit called idleness. 
You don't. Um, Jesus is, is not about believers who just um, phone it in. He, he, he's, he's fired up about people who are fired up about him. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He loves us all. But man, he wants you to be fired up for him, for his kingdom, for his church, for his glory. That's what it's all about, for the glory of Christ. Every time you and I do something for Christ, every time we make an impact for the kingdom of God, every time we, we, we bring someone closer to Christ, every time I help build someone up in Christ, every time I encourage someone in Christ, every time I, I serve someone in Christ, every time I step out in faith and I do something for Christ, I'm bringing him glory. And I'm giving the enemy a black eye. It is better to take the initiative to change yourself than have to have the discipline of Christ in your life to get you to wake up. And then lastly, number four. Jesus will reward the faithful. Jesus will reward the faithful. So in verse 4, he says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Okay, so now, Jesus, this is the one commendation in the church. He's like, not everybody in the church is nominal. He's like, man, you've got a few people who are still fired up. He's like, you still have a few people in the church who are about doing what I want. He, he's like, man, these, these people got it going on still. And when he says they haven't soiled their clothes, they're in, in ancient times in pagan um, temples, people could not enter the temple with dirty clothes. They had to wash them and cleanse them before they could go into the temple to worship the pagan god. And Jesus is making that reference. He's like, they haven't soiled their clothes. Man, they are pure before me. Man, they're getting it done for me. They're, they're doing my business, my work. They're engaged. They're after it. You know, it's, not, it's interesting that Jesus, um, how many of you have ever heard of the Pareto principle? 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. It's almost like Jesus put that in there. Okay, he's like, okay, you've got a bunch of people who aren't doing squat, but you still have a few who are. It's almost like that sometimes church. You got a few people that just step up and do it all while you got a lot of people sit on the sidelines and watch. You see, here's the thing. It's got to be everybody stepping up. It's got to be all of us. We all got to be engaged. We all got to be awake. We all got to be like, okay, I, I don't want to be in a spiritual stupor. I, I don't want to be asleep at the wheel. I, I don't want Jesus looking at me going, really? I don't want Jesus having to tell me to wake up. Man, I should have to wake myself up and get into this thing. But then Jesus goes on. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. Jesus is giving a eternal picture here he, he's giving the the welcome home party um, banner in place 
Because what he's saying, he's like, he, he says those who um, conquer is actually those who overcome. And he's talking about believers that while we're, and we've seen that we saw this um, a couple weeks ago, overcoming means that as a believer in Christ, no matter what comes into my life, guess what? I'm not stopping. I'm not quitting. Man, I'm going to continue to worship Christ. I'm going to continue to work for Christ. I'm going to continue to walk with Christ. I'm going to continue to witness for Christ. I am going to continue to be a disciple of Christ no matter what comes at me. I'm not going to let the world sway me. I'm not going to let the world pull me away. Because when you look at the seeds that Jesus talks about, the sowing of the word, three out of the four seeds, the, 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 the heart, the soils, three out of the four soils bear no fruit. Because Jesus is like, man, some seed is, is sown on, on one heart and, and, and it, it, it grows a little bit, but then the concerns of the world and the, the, the temptations of the world and the pulls of the world cause it to die. He says, then another heart, man, it, it gets it and it, it grows up, but persecutions and tribulation causes it to die. He goes, but man, there is one heart that the seed is sown on and it takes root and it produces a harvest. And it doesn't die. Why? Because that Christian, that believer is an overcomer. Man, they are all the way to the end. Jesus talks, Jesus, Jesus' um, words here is, is giving the indication that you do this until your last breath. Not until, well, I retired from my job. No, 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 no. Until you don't breathe anymore. Until you don't have a heartbeat anymore, guess what you're doing? You are overcoming. You are engaged in the work of Christ. You are doing the work of Christ. Man, you are involved in this thing. You look at the church and go, that's my church. Man, I'm, a, I'm, that, I'm engaged in this thing. You keep pressing on. You keep pressing on. You keep pressing on. And then when you breathe your last breath and God decides to take you home, man, guess what he's going to do? Father, I would like to introduce you to somebody. They served you and they overcame. Doesn't mean that you didn't struggle. It doesn't mean maybe you didn't have your days. We all have our days when we doubt, right? We all have our days where we're like, oh God, I don't want to go on anymore. But I believe Jesus is going to proclaim you to the Father and to his angels. And I sit and go, what will that look like? Is he going to get the bullhorn out? Is he, or is his voice just going to be so awesome that he'll be able to go, I need to declare so-and-so they were an overcomer. And I sit and wonder. The Bible tells us that the angels rejoice when just one person comes to know Christ now. What will heaven sound like when Jesus proclaims you before the Father and all the angels? You think they'll be like, eh, cool. Or do you think they'd be like, ah. I, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I, mean, I, I mean, I want to believe that when we walk into heaven, man, it is a homecoming like never before. But the way that happens is that you are a believer in Christ overcoming. You're not asleep at the wheel. You're not just going to be nominal until Jesus comes back. No, today is a day that maybe you need to repent 
And that you need to wake up. You need to remember. You need to stir something up inside of you. Strengthen yourself. Keep what God and Christ and his word has said. It's time to engage. On that note, like I said, next Sunday, actually, go ahead and go on out. We're just going to, I'm going to pray. At this time, if you are a leader of ministry, I need you to go out to the tables. Here's what we're going to do. Next Wednesday or next Sunday, we're reopening. We have had ministry pretty much shut down in this church for a year. We are jump-starting all of our ministries again. We're getting small groups up and running again. And so guess what that's going to require? People to step into some roles. We're going to have ushers and greeters and coffee vine. We're going to have compassion and, and connections ministry. We're going to have youth ministry, worship ministry. We've, we're going to have children's ministry again. Now, the children's ministry is the one ministry I need to explain to you that's going to be different. As you all know, that Candy um, had, had stepped down um, a couple months ago, um, just a lot going on in her life, and she has stepped down. Adam and Abby Sini have volunteered to step up to be our new children's directors. But children's ministry is going to run differently. We are not going to do children's ministry like we did. We are going to actually begin a Sunday school program. So here's the way it's going to operate. Um, time, we haven't figured out, probably starting around 8.30. 8.30 to 9.30, 8.45, 9.45, somewhere in that, that area, about an hour. We will have um, Sunday school for everybody in the church. We're going to have Sunday school for um, K through 2nd, 3rd through 5th. We'll have Sunday school for 6th grade through senior high. We're going to have Sunday school for all the adults. See, the way we thought about this is we want you as adults to have opportunities to learn and grow in the Word of God. Like Jeff Kessinger will be teaching adult Sunday school next week, but only the adults who don't have kids will probably come because if I bring my kid, I have nowhere to put them. So when we have, we have parents with kids who can't go to adult Sunday school because of their kids, well, guess what this Sunday school program will eliminate? excuse. You'll have no reason not to come. If you have kids, you put them in their, their appropriate class. During Sunday school, we'll have, um, we'll have a nursery and a preschool going on during Sunday school. So that way, if you have babies, you can put them in there. So Sunday school will go on for about an hour. Then afterwards, what's going to happen? We'll have a nursery and a preschool, preschool and kindergartens, over there, all the children are going to worship with you, mom and dad. Because as we've talked about this, we really believe there's something essential in your kids seeing you worship. Seeing you give into the offering. Seeing baptisms take place. Seeing communion take place. Hearing the word preached. Worshiping. Okay? And so we are going to have the kids in here during worship. And only nursery and preschool will be taking place during church. We believe that this ministry is going to be really effective in teaching the word of God to people. And that's what we want to be about and get about. So Adam and Abby are going to be the leaders of that. But unfortunately, um, they had a couple kids with fevers yesterday. So they could not be here today. So um, Mary Spillman is at the table out in the, out in the foyer. So here's what I need you to do. 
like I said, we're going to have that picnic over in, up here in the, out at the Woodhall Park. But I want you to sign up for ministry not because you feel guilty. If you feel like you've been guilted, don't sign up. I want you to feel you've been convicted. That if the Holy Spirit has revealed to you, you are not engaged. You have never been engaged. You haven't been engaged in years. It's time to re-engage. At every table out there are all the ministries. I'm not asking you to sign up for three ministries or four ministries. I'm asking you to find one ministry and plug into it. If you want to do three or four, man, giddy up. Sign up and go crazy. But at least find one. Talk to Bill Spillman. He's out there with small groups. Get connected in a small group. If you're like, man, I, I just don't have time, Bill will, Bill will tell you what groups are going and what days will be going on. If you feel like I just don't have time for a group, get to the Sunday school class, either starting next Sunday, but the, 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 the entire church Sunday school class will probably start up around after Labor Day because we're still getting things going and, and all, the, all the things transitioning. But I need you to engage. Get involved. Wake up. Let's get ministry going. Every ministry needs hands on deck. And that happens when we all step up, get involved, and move again. Amen? Hey, let's all stand. Let's have a word of prayer. So, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word. And, Father, even in those times when we have to preach a very hard text and, and it gets uncomfortable, Father, it's for our benefit. It's for our good. God, you're not just a God that just wants to pamper.